How y'all? That sounds real good. You're almost as alive as the first service. I was stunned. They were so lively. Man, I couldn't believe it. Usually I'm used to, you know, leftover sleeping in the first service and getting started sleeping in the second. That tends to be the way it works. But um, I just want to say what a delight it is to be with you. And I figured out from what Rick said that I go to church once every eight years, four times in 32. Whether I need to or not, I show up. So what a phenomenal privilege, though, to be here. And uh, what an impact you are having in San Antonio in such a faithful way over such a long period of time. Very, very encouraging to see you be with you. My, our ministry is Leader Formation International. We focus on leaders in distinction from leadership. Leadership is what you do. Many of you are leaders, business leaders, community leaders, church leaders, educational leaders, political leaders, all kinds of leaders. Leadership is what you do. Leader is who you are. And the difference you make does not depend on what you do, but who you are. And as a result, that's where we focus, on who the leader is and how God is forming you, what he's doing. We're going to talk about that in a way today, not directly, but nonetheless, we're going to, we're going to talk about God's formative action in our lives because he's engaged in forming you. The potter has taken the clay, thrown it on the wheel, and he's bringing out the beauty of the leader, of the person in you. So that's what we're about. Now this morning, I want to look at a topic that I believe is extremely relevant. It has certainly been relevant to me and uh, my wife, the two of us together, each of us individually. And to get to that topic, I want to, um, I want to tell you about an event that occurred in my life many years ago. I was on an airplane. I was flying from Porto Alegre in Brazil, in the far south of Brazil, to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I was flying the Brazilian national airline, Varig. Uh, First-rate airline. Haven't been on it for a long time, but at that point in time, at least, all of their servings were done with real china and real silver. So it was a very impressive airline. Except that when I got on and got to my seat, I was utterly unimpressed. In fact, I was depressed because, you see, I was in bulkhead. Now, that's not a happy event, but when you're in the middle seat in bulkhead, that's a very unhappy event. All flyers know that. And so I see that seat, and I'm going to be like this for about four hours, crunched and scrunched, and uh, a full-size guy next to me. But over here on the aisle, on the aisle, I discovered the teeny, tiniest, littlest Latin lady I had ever seen in my life. And she was going to sit in that seat. Now, she was going to take up one-third of that seat, (laughs) and I was going to spill over in my seat. And I'm thinking, 
wish I could move this armrest. I was unhappy, but I thought, well, I should be nice. So I said, bom dia, good day in Portuguese. Nothing. Okay, this is, this is a flight going to Buenos Aires. She must be speak Spanish. So I said, buenos whatever. I'm not quite sure which of my <laughs> buenos is I said. But at any rate, it might have been tarde or noches or whenever. Uh, it didn't make any difference because even if I had been quite sure of what I should say, <laughs> she was not impressed. In fact, zero response. Okay, so we sit down. I'm here, and that teeny tiniest little Latin lady I'd ever met is over here. And between her and me, there is a great gulf fixed. You needed a bridge to get across. Wasn't going to happen. So we take off, and we've got our, we're starting out with the drinks, and all of a sudden, all the attendants on the, on the plane just come along, and they just take everything away. I never had seen that before. I didn't know what was going on. And then, just as we, they, they got everything taken away, kawam! We hit the biggest pothole in the sky I had ever experienced before. I had no idea. Kawam! And then another, kawam, kawam, kawam. Look out the window. Lightning. Whoa, we're flying through a storm. That plane is bouncing. And people started to scream. And rosary beads were going warp speed. <laughs> and this woman, teeny tiniest little Latin lady, way over here, guess where she is now? <laughs> right here. And she's grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. And I'm thinking to myself, lady, if we go down, I'll get another arm. But if we don't, I want to use this one. It's the only one I'm going to have. Well, that must have gone on for, it felt like, you know, your whole life. Maybe 15 minutes, I don't know. And all the time, the Chinese crash, 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 and the silver, crash, crash, crash. So it's punctuating the whole time. And then it ends. And that teeny tiniest, littlest Latin lady looks at me. Straightens herself up, goes right back over here. Isn't it amazing how quickly we lose control in a storm? You spend days, weeks, months, years getting control of your life, making this move, making that move, making the other move, getting from here to there, and you've just got it all in place. When your company sells and you're out of place, or you've watched as your company has done adjustments and with every adjustment, some of the older guys and women walk out and you move up. Maybe it didn't occur to you that one day you'd walk out and somebody else would move up. And all of a sudden, you find yourself out of control. 
You see, there are some very important lessons we need to learn about control. For one thing, there's two problems with control. Number one, control is a myth. You have bought a myth when you think you can be in control of life. Oh, I know you can be in control of your cash flow, at least what goes out, not necessarily what comes in. Or you can be in control of your calories, kind of. Or you can be in control of, well, your temper, should be. You can be in control of your passions and desires. It's a good idea. But tell me one thing that really matters, ultimately, that you can control. Oh, you say, I can control my wife. (laughs) Yeah. That went out the window when, you know, the honeymoon (laughs) started. That was, if if it took you more than an hour from the I do to discover that, you're a slow learner. Now you say to me, I can control my kids. Right. In the supermarket, good luck. I never pulled it off. You say, well, wait a minute now. I can control something. Yeah. Can you control your breathing? Can you control your heart? I don't think so. I cannot think of anything that ultimately matters in life that we can control. We're not in control. And the harder you try to be in control, the more you buy into a myth. There's a second problem with control. And I, I, don't misunderstand me. I think there are good things to try to control. And I think we need the discipline of control. I just think we need to understand what our limits are, and they're pretty big. You see, the second reason why control, we need, well, we have to learn about control, is because, you see, God is against it. God, God thinks very strange things at times. Have you figured that out? And one of the strange things he thinks is that he should be in control. He should be in control. So when you say, when you're managing your career, don't worry, God, I'll take care of it. I have news for you. You have just created a challenge for God. And he's more than willing to take up that challenge. Because control is bad for us. Trust is good for us. Control is bad for us. And so because that's the case, we need to understand that storms are critical for us. And we must enter into a a rapid study of Stormology 101. This is the beginning. This is beginner stormology. It gets bigger and bigger as you go. There's a PhD in the field. But, you know, stormology 101, stormology. You say, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Never heard that word before. No, I know you haven't. You know why? 
because I made it up. <laughs> but it's very simple. It's the study of storms. That's all. And the scripture is full of them. And I want us to look this morning at a very basic reality. Storms teach us we're not in control of life. That's the whole aim of storms. They teach us who is, but first they have to teach us who isn't. We are not in control of life. I need to say this over and over again. We are not in control of life. You will never be in control of life. You cannot be in control of life. As long as you try to be in control of life, you are going to end up on the rocks and waves of a storm. You cannot be in control of life. Now we come this morning to learn this from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We encounter a very, very strategic reality. We're going to make three observations on Mark 4, um, 35 to 41. And I want you to come with me to Mark 4, 35. Come with me to Mark 4, 35, where we read these words. Are you with me? Mark 4, 35. That day... When evening came, that day, what day? Need this setting. If you go back in the mark, you go back and review the day, you will see that Jesus spent the whole day teaching. It's a condensed version that Mark gives us. This is all day long that he's teaching. He teaches parables to the the crowds, and then he explains them to the disciples. So he teaches Then he talks with the disciples. Then he teaches and he talks with the disciples. And it's almost, it's it's almost a dawn the dark kind of thing. It's a long, hard day. And he is tired. Fascinating thing is, at this point, we have a focus on Jesus as man. And as man, he is just as weak and frail as we are. He is not able to teach all day long and just walk away from it. He's exhausted. And he says to his men, as they are coming very close to nightfall, having taught all day long, he says to his men, when evening came, that day, Mark 4.35, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, well, really of the lake. Let's go over to the other side. Now, he wants his men to do this. And as we come to this statement, let's go over to the other side, I need to ask you a question. And I, and, and I want you to answer. I know this is church, and you don't talk back to the person up here, but, you know, I'm taking a big risk. You're an unusual group. That's, even smart. And so I'm going to give you this theological question I want you to answer. It's a very basic but important, critical, theological question. Are you ready? Get your theology out. Shine it up. Brush it off. Here's my question. What did Jesus intend to do when he said, 
Let's go over to the other side. What did he intend to do? Huh. You're stumped. One more time. What did Jesus intend to do when he said, let's go over to the other side? I'm sorry, I'm not hearing anything intelligible. <laughs> now, here's my question. How many of you don't trust me? <laughs> and you're caught on that fast, huh? <laughs> I thought Roger would give me a better entree than this. What did he intend to do? What? You're kidding. You know, I only flew down from Dallas. Just suppose you'd spent big money on me. <laughs> Would I really come and ask you that question and get and 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 that would be the right answer? It's just theology, people. Oh, there's the right answer. Go to the other side. You say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You may call this theology, but it just seems pretty dumb to me. Why would you ask a question like that? Are you sure he intended to go to the other side? Huh? Well, now you're not. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Anyway, anyway. His disciples respond, verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with him. So they wouldn't leave him alone. So they just say, goodbye. They're in the boat, start to back up, turn it around, and off they go, rowing to the other side, two-hour row. Now, here's another question. Another question. Are you ready for another question? This is also deep, intense theology. Because I want you to observe that in verse 37, a furious squall comes up. Now, Mark really builds this storm up. It's the way he writes it. First of all, he writes mostly in the present tense. So it's graphic. It's alive. It's happening right now, even though it's been 30 years since this happened, maybe more, almost 40. But he's, he's living it again. And he's, well, he's, he didn't live it. It was Peter who lived it. And I think he learned it from Peter. But it, it's, it's alive and it's real and it's present tense right now, right here. They get, they, they, they get into the boat. They, they, they take off for the side. A furious, furious, angry storm comes up. Here's my question. What did the disciples do wrong that they ended up in a storm. Think about it now. Think really hard. Don't think too long. I don't have that much time. What did they do wrong? Huh? Am I hearing nothing? <laughs> 
cannot be. Oh, that's a big question. Why did Jesus lead his men into this storm? That's what we're answering this morning. But what the, oh, that's the right answer, nothing. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe it's possible that you will end up in a storm and you did nothing to deserve it? You do? Then why is your first question always when you end up in a storm? What did I do? Isn't that your first question? See, you don't believe it. That's always our first question. What did I do wrong? And if someone says to you, you did nothing wrong, do you ever really just want to punch them? (laughs) Right here? (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, it's time for our first observation. Jesus leads his followers into storms. You may be inclined sometimes to stop and ask yourself, is this really the will of God? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I prayed to marry the right person. It's a little stormy. (laughs) Is this really the will of God? I missed it. I got to go find the will. Oh, no, you don't. You got the will of God. There's a psychiatrist named Paul Meyer that used to teach with us at Dallas Seminary for a while. He observed that every, every one of us deserves the mate we get. Think about that for a while. He leads us into storms. But I think we have deep down inside of us, we have this perspective and this feeling that when we end up in storms, either we didn't follow God or God is against us. I had a student at Dallas Seminary several years ago now who came to seminary, was an attorney, And he came to Dallas. He found a a job that actually part-time paid him more than his full-time job did. And he's praising the Lord. He's praying, man, I belong in seminary. And uh, he had a daughter who developed an illness, and it cost $2,000 a month to take care of her illness long-term. And he had insurance through his job. But after two and a half years, a year and a half to go in seminary, after two and a half years, the economy went down, it tanked, and a managing partner came to him and said, you don't want to make partner? We have others who do. I don't have enough work for everybody. I can't keep you. And in three weeks' time, his insurance would run out. And he was angry. In three months' time after that, his 
All of his resources were gone. He had nothing. And I walked up to him one day on campus and I said, how are you doing? And he was furious. He turned to me and he said, God does this to me. When I told him that we would celebrate his graduation in a year and a half, he laughed in my face. That's fine. He was in a storm. He was angry. Very angry. Now, here's another element that I need to observe. Jesus may appear not to care during storms. Let me show you what I mean. It's right here in the text. Let's look at it. This furious squall, verse 37, comes up, and the waves are breaking over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. I mean, the squall comes on. There are sudden storms like this on Galilee, and the squall comes on, and it's like huge hands are reaching up out out of the lake, and they're just grabbing all this water and throwing it right in the boat, right in the boat. And they, they can't row in a storm. They certainly can't put a sail up. They can't bail fast enough. They're going down. And it's a matter of moments. One moment it's calm. The next moment it's out of control. And they're out of control. You ever get out of control? Oh, yeah, we've already talked about that, haven't we? In storms, we get out of control. Remember that teeny tiny little Latin lady? Okay. We're out of control. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He's tired, exhausted, totally worn out. And even when the boat is being pitched and twisted and turned and is filling up with water, he is sleeping. How can he be sleeping in this storm? And as far as the disciples were concerned, he didn't care. In fact, they look around, where's Jesus? And they see him in the back sleeping, and they rush at him, and they stir him. And look what the text says. Look look at the words they use with him. The disciples woke him. Stirred him, shook him, got him awake. And when, when they woke, while they were waking him, they shouted at him because they had to over the, over the sound of the waves and the wind. And they shout at him, teacher, you don't care if we drown, do you? That's literally what they said. You don't care. Have you not told God you don't care? Have you not stumbled and struggled and wrestled with God? Have you not said to him, I'm going down. Where are you? I can't find you. And what happened in a few moments on this lake may take a few months or a few years in our lives.
how Jesus, when he finally got awake, because the, the word, the language is graphic. It's like he, he was awakened and they're shouting in his face and the boat is being tossed and turned all around and, and he's got to kind of come together and he sees what's going on and it, it, you know, suddenly he realizes he sees what's happening. And so he said just two words. Be muzzled. Shut up, he said to the storm. And the lake was still. Amazing. That he goes from a worn out, sound asleep man to the sovereign God of the universe. You know, the interesting thing about God is this. You never know what God is doing until he does it. And the most embarrassing thing is to be angry with God, complaining and bitter and stressed out and, and just full of, of all of the, the, the gall that a storm creates within us and then have him show up and do his thing. Isn't that embarrassing? Have you been there? Yeah, I have. I've decided, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to do that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised that the disciples in that short period of time had done all they could. They couldn't do anything. You see, our first reaction in a storm is, what can I do to take control of this storm? That's natural. It's even logical. It's just not sensible when your boat's going down. Because, you know, sometimes, come right down to it, you do all that you can and you can't do anything. And you can't be in control. And you can't take control. And so you're out of control. Do you realize in life that the more you try to be in control, the more you're going to be out of control? Did anybody come to church angry this morning? Inside? Driving to church? White knuckles, clenched teeth. Well, that will get you some kind of fibrillation in your heart or a royal headache, but it won't solve any problems. <laughs> Because you can't, you can't do it. You're like a friend of mine in uh, business. He um, he had started a business and he was getting it going, and it looked pretty good. And he had built something of a team, and he liked his team, and they were really starting to get started. But one Wednesday night, he sat down and just looked at where his business was, and he just added up everything. Income, cash, whatever, and then payroll, Friday. Wednesday to Friday. He wasn't going to make it. He didn't have the money for payroll. 
So this is after everyone had gone home, and he was the only one in his office. And he just got down on his knees, and he said, God, it's yours. I can't do it. I'm going home. If you want it to go, you make it go. I'm done. The next day he came in, he got a, he got a letter with a check in it. And the letter was from a company he'd done business with. And the company said, we just put together everything we've done. And we have not paid you fully for, for what you've done. We owe you money. So enclosed is our check. Payroll covered. That's probably 30 years ago. In the last 30 years, he's discovered a Bible teaching gift he knew nothing about. He teaches a Bible study to over 200 people every Monday night in Dallas. So he decided he would cut back from five days a week to four so he could prepare. And then somebody 30 miles away said, come here and teach a Bible study. So he started on Monday night. And then he decided three He's built a team. He's got a strong team. He trusts. But it all goes back. It's not my business. It's like another friend of mine. Lost 90% of his business. Built it up, becoming a player in his field. 90% gone. He began to ask God what was going on and God said, there's two things I want you to face. I want you to face some deep sin in your life, not in your business life, in your personal life. And I want you to face all your fears, every one of them. And so he began to do that. And he made a decision. He would run his business God's way. Run his business God's way. Great decision. However, after two or three years of building it back up again, by the way, he had all this office space. He went from 300 employees to 30. It's a bit of overhead there, uh, rent, rental. <laughs> and uh, about two, three years later, he lost 75% of his business. God, what's going on? Well, you see, uh, God said to him, it's not your business. You can't run your business my way. It's my business, and I'm going to run it my way. You know, it's interesting. There's a letter everybody needs to write. You know, this is what? July 26th, right? July 26th. Dear God, this is a letter I want you to write. Write it this afternoon. July 26th, Sunday, July 26th. Dear God, I resign being you. Sign me. Greatest resignation letter you'll ever write. Now, what is very fascinating is that Jesus rebukes his followers because, see, until we learn who he is, really, he's a sleeping theory in, a, in life's boat. We know all these things about him, but emotionally, we don't respond that way. Oh, he's sovereign. Oh, yes, he's in control. Blah, blah, blah. Great Sunday talk, 
But it doesn't work on Monday morning. Storms teach us who's in control. Jesus rebukes his followers. Observation number three. He rebukes his followers. After he rebuked the wind, he said to his disciples, Why are you so cowardly? That's the word he uses. Why are you such cowards? You know, one thing about our Lord is this. When he wanted to make a point, he could really make it. Why are you such cowards? Do you still have no faith? Do you still have, have you not yet learned to trust? I want to tell you something. You, you, are, you are desperately afraid to trust, many of you. If you learn anything in life, you can trust nobody. And most of all, God, why? Because he's so big. He's so powerful. He's so overwhelming. What's he going to do to me? my friends, what God is going to do to you is make you like Jesus. He's going to love you. But he has to teach you and me who's in control. And it is not I. And it's not you. Verse 41, they were terrified, terrified. (laughs) But it's a different kind of terror. It's the kind of terror you would have if you really, really, really stood in the holiness of God and realized he's holy. I'm unholy. That's frightening. And they asked this question, who is this? But even the wind and the waves obey him. And they knew the answer. All they knew the answer. They knew it's God. 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 God is here. God is in control in the storm. God is in charge. God is involved in our lives. The creator of all. The Lord of all. The sovereign of all. The controller of all. God is here and we want to be in control. You know that makes no sense. Theory becomes reality through storms. Simple, simple thing. We must turn from control to trust. The only way we can control life is to trust the only one who can control life. That's what my friend learned, who said, God does this to me. Because even though he laughed in my face, we celebrated at his graduation. On time. And he ended up debt-free. And his daughter's needs were met. only way to control life is to trust the only one who can 
control life. Oh, by the way, you ever notice Mark 5, 1? It says, they came to the other side. (laughs) Remember that silly question? (laughs) In the middle of the storm, did you really believe you were going to get to the other side? You had a theory. You didn't know the truth. We don't always know what the other side is, but one thing we know is this. We're going to get there by the grace of God. Amen. And thank you, Father.